Jesus declared some things about himself. And that's the series that we're going through. He said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And I actually have learned more about what that means this week, uh, because that's what I'm speaking on, and it means more than I ever thought it meant. Around 300 years before Christ, Aristotle died, and when Aristotle died, it it meant the, the end of a golden age of Greek philosophy. And the greatest minds in Greece pontificated the meaning of life. And they pondered the possibility of life after death. And the best that they could come up with was that when you, your body dies, your soul separates from your body. But they believed that your soul only lives as long as your memory lives. And there you have a country full of statues. Have you ever wondered why Greece is full of statues? It's because they're trying to keep their souls alive as long as possible. And that little piece of information actually gives great significance to the story in John chapter 11 where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Because the mindset of the Greeks, that, 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 that bled into the first century. Just like our understanding of hell has been handed to us in large part by our fathers and their fathers and their fathers. And we have it in the scriptures, but how we spin that, how we read that, how we understand that has come to us generationally. And my point is simply this, is that when Lazarus raised from the dead, it changed everything. It shifted understanding of, of, of life after death. See, Lazarus and Martha and Mary were, were siblings, and they were really good friends with Jesus. And Lazarus got, de- uh, got, got sick, and, and so they, they called, a, they, they sent a note to Jesus saying, could you come? He's He's dying. And Jesus understood that what is happening with Lazarus is bigger than Lazarus, and so he delayed, and Lazarus died. And when Lazarus uh, had been dead for four days, Jesus shows up. And in verse 22, there's something really powerful here. Martha greets Jesus, and she says to him, I know that even now, whatever you ask God, he will give to you. She believes after four days of being in the tomb, four days of being dead, she actually, even though this has never happened, she believes Jesus can raise him from the dead. And Jesus says, Martha, your brother will live again. And she says, yes, Lord, I know in the resurrection in the last days. And in verse 25 and 26 is where he says it. He said, no, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. And anyone who believes in me, now get this, will live even after dying, where everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asks Martha, and Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God. So Jesus has gotten her faith 
And now he has to show up and he has to demonstrate that he is who he just said he is. And so he goes to the tomb and he calls for Lazarus to come out. And verse 44 says, and the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. As big as this miracle was in this cultural moment, it was tiny in comparison to the miracle that it was pointing to. This event was simply a shadow pointing to a greater miracle that was about to come. It was pointing to Christ's death and Christ's resurrection. It was pointing to the defeat of death itself. It was pointing to the resurrection of everyone who lives in Christ. So this isn't just about Lazarus. This is a shadow pointing to the fact that all of us in Christ will rise again one day. And the resurrection is pointing to the promise that God made that he will redeem or restore or renew all things, all creation, which is like all of it, all the dirt will get renewed. The ozone layer, renewed. The plant life, renewed. I've thought about that. I wondered if when God renews everything, do some of the breeds that we have, like some of the dog breeds that we've made, I wonder if they go back to their, where they originally came from. But that's just me thinking. So Lazarus is a, is, is a shadow pointing to something greater. Have you ever wondered how 12 peasants... 12 fishermen, farmer, tax collector, peasants can multiply to the place where we are today where one in three of every human being on the earth would attach itself to Christianity. I think it's amazing that Jesus never wrote a book. I think it's amazing that Jesus never wrote anything and yet there are more books written about Jesus than any subject in the entire world. Jesus never wrote a song. And yet there are more songs written about Jesus than any subject in history. He never painted a picture. He never created a sculpture. And yet there is more art created around Christ than any other subject in all of history. Is that amazing? Jesus never traveled more than 100 miles from the place where he was born. And yet you cannot go to any, cranny, any, any nook or cranny of the planet without finding someone who is a follower of Christ. And why? What is the difference? It's the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything. It split our calendar from A.D. to B.C., from after death to before Christ. It changed everything. But what does it mean? How is it significant to you and me? And that's what I'm going to unpack just so briefly this morning. To understand the resurrection, you have to kind of go to the Old Testament and understand God's interaction with mankind. So we have the very beginning of the book of Genesis, God created man and woman. But by chapter 12, sin and death had so ravaged the human race. It was a cancer that had destroyed God's perfect creation. It was, it was so bad that God comes to a guy by the name of Abraham. And he says, Abraham, 
I'm going to introduce, reintroduce, reintroduce my kingdom into the human race. And I'm going to use you, and I'm going to use your kids, and I'm going to use their kids, I'm going to use your descendants, and we're, I'm, going to, I'm going to bring the kingdom of God, I'm going to usher it back into the human race. I'm going to usher back um, a, a kingdom where there is an end to injustice and pain and shame and death. I'm going to end it all. And it's going to culminate in a new heaven and a new earth. That's what I'm going to do. So he speaks to Abraham about something Abraham cannot possibly understand. And Abraham says, okay, I'll leave. I'll just go. I'll follow you. Hundreds of years pass. And then God gives Moses the law. And the law is a picture of God's design for the universe for us. It's impossible to fulfill unless the kingdom of God has fully filled you. And then hundreds of years go by, and then, and then God sends the prophets. And these are weird people. And they see things nobody else sees. They see the glory of God coming. They see the kingdom of God coming. And they're declaring something to the people that is really, really early in the game. And then there's 400 years of absolute silence. 400 years, in terms of God speaking, in terms of heaven blowing on earth, there is nothing. And then John the Baptist crawls out of the wilderness. He crawls out of the wilderness, and he declares the kingdom of God is here. It's here. The kingdom is here. What God promised is here. What the law pointed to is here. What the sacrificial system was all trying to demonstrate, it is here. What the prophets spoke of, what David sang about, it's here. And he points to Jesus and he says, the kingdom of God, right? it's right there. And through Christ's death and resurrection, God gives us an opportunity for a blood transfusion. You see, our, our, our sin nature, it's so tainted and so marred our hearts that everything that, that is in the heart of man is selfish and sinful. And it has just corrupted the human race. And Jesus came and he made it possible for us to connect to something that wasn't selfish, but selfless and giving and divine and full of life and full of love to connect us to the Father. You see, the scripture tells us that you and I were created with intention. We were created with intention from love, of love, and for love. That's how you thrive. We were designed to live secure in the divine belongingness and in the imputed worth that comes from the Father. We thrive in the free-flowing of, of, of giving and receiving of love. And the Father wants us to walk in that. But sin separates us from that divine connection. And instead of freely living, we began to live out of fear and out of pain and out of shame and out of worthlessness. It's funny how, how, how instead of this divine worthiness being spoken over us and breathed over us, we have this critical inner dictator that only condemns, only condemns. And that voice then begins to, to, begins to poison our relationships and begins to dis, 
distort our behavior. And Christ came and said, you don't have to listen to that voice. There is another voice, a voice of absolute unconditional love, a voice of forgiveness, a voice of restoration, a voice of healing and renewal. And he came to introduce to us, to that voice. That's what the resurrection did for us. Secondly, Christ's resurrection points to our resurrection. You will rise again, which is kind of weird. It's, 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 it's mind-blowing when you think about it. Listen to this. Paul said, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So because Jesus died and was, rose again, you will rise again. Listen to this um, in 1 Corinthians 15. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. That which is sown is perishable. That which is raised is imperishable. That which is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. That which is sown in weakness will be raised in power. That which is sown in the natural body will be raised in a spiritual body. Do you see what that's saying? There are things that you have done in obedience to God. There are things that you've initiated in God's name and they were so frail and they were so weak and they just didn't even make a dent. They didn't make a difference here, but God says he's gonna raise those things up in one point in time and it is gonna be raised in glory and in power and in spirit. The good work that he began in you, he will complete it. And when he completes it, it will be glorious. And when you look at the whole storyline of scripture, you see that Christianity is not just about you getting saved so that you can go to heaven. Christ came to this earth to, to, to write the entire story, to turn it all right side up, to restore the earth, to restore all of creation, to even restore the heavens not just the earth. And I don't even know what's wrong with heaven, but we're getting a new one. A new heaven and a new earth. Maybe just because it has that new car smell. You know, maybe that's why. We... I'm going to, we're, we're going to have a communion in a minute. So I'm going to invite the band to come up. I'm not quite done. Third thing that the, the resurrection tells us, and this is pretty cool, I think. It tells us that when we depart from this world, it tells us that we are birthed into another world. It tells that the death and birth are twins, actually. A biblical view of death is not cessation of life, it's separation. It means you've just been separated from, from this reality. See, when a baby lives in the womb, when a baby's conceived that lives in the womb, and that womb is the only world that that baby knows about. It eats there, it, it sleeps there, it grows there, it develops there, that is its world. And at the end of the third trimester, at nine months, there's a violent death to that womb. And it's traumatic. And it comes out into this world and it fills its lungs with air for the first time and it's come alive to this new reality. The whole time it's in the womb, it's growing fingers and toes and a nose and ears and a mouth for which it doesn't need. 
in the womb. But a baby was not born for the womb. A baby was born for this planet. And so it gets out of that reality, it's birthed into this reality, and it goes, ah, that's what they're for. Look at that, I can hear stuff, I can see things that I didn't see before. Look at these, these toes are fantastic, they work. You just get used to them after about 90 years, and then there's another violent dying, and another birthing. Have you ever thought about this? You see, the resurrection gives us permission to think of the future that reaches past the expiry date of your skin. Most of us are thinking right now, what are we going to do for the next, you know, in, for the next 20 years? But the resurrection gives us permission to think, what are we going to do even when we die? Because there are things, there are fingers and toes going on and developing in you in this reality that were created for your resurrected experience, your resurrected life. Think about this for a second. Is it possible there are genius, areas of genius in your life, and you get little glimpses of it, but you can't really grab a hold of it? What if those things that are sown in weakness, they are raised in power in your resurrected body? Think about your, your, your love for connection. Our need for relationship and connection and friendship and community. And we really are not good at it. The best of us aren't great at it. But what if those are fingers and toes? What if that will be ultimately fulfilled? And Jesus says there, there's a resurrection coming. And what if, what if, what, if the, the, what we're doing now is simply a shadow pointing to something much larger, much greater, much more fulfilling, much more beautiful, more glorious than that. I always wanted to sing. I did. I always wanted to sing. I, like, like, they sing so, where are they? they? They sing so good. As long as I can remember, even as a little kid, there's something in my soul that when I, oh, I want to sing. When I was looking at this, I thought, you know what? I'm trading good looks for a voice. That's what I'm, you know what, you can, you can take the eye candy. You know, I'm going for a voice. That's what I'm going for. Think about it. Think about how you're bent towards creativity. You're bent towards innovation. What if those are fingers and toes that you will actually go, that's why this is in me. That's why I'm alive in this area of my life. Think about art. Think about, think about competition. How many of us absolutely love a great competition? Competition is not evil. What if even that is expressed in its fullness and we taste it just a little bit? Your best round of golf is a shadow pointing to something. Scripture says this, in his presence, get this, I'm going to close here. In his presence is fullness of joy, and his right hand pleasures evermore. The resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection, I am the life. He came that we might be restored to the Father. He spoke to us about our own resurrection. And we can begin to dream a dream that reaches past our mortality. Reach a dream, dream a dream that reaches past 
the expiry date of our flesh. Let me pray. Father, um, these are really mind-blowing ideas. Maybe the, the, the most mind-boggling of all of them is that you loved us so much and you saw how self-sabotaging we are and you invited us to connect to your love and to your forgiveness to connect to you so that you could renew us even while we're in this earth suit even while we're walking around in flesh you, 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 you want to heal and restore and renew us even while we're here and Father, I pray that for those that are in this place and they've never really connected to you, I pray in Jesus' name, Father, make your presence known to them because the invitation is being extended even today. We love you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.